Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand and return to our study of the book of Luke. We're in chapter 2 this morning. We come to verse 8. And I'm aware that Christmas is over. It's come and gone for one more year. Over the weekend, the decorations disappeared from the auditorium. I appreciate all who put those up and uh, put them back into storage. But thankfully, the Christmas message does not have an expiration date. So this morning, let's uh, return to our verse-by-verse study of Luke's Gospel, verse 8 through verse 20. The title of the message, Good News of Great Joy. Let's read the text. Scripture says, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from there into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherd. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. I I suppose all of us love to hear good news. Most of us love to tell good news. There seems to be a dearth and a drought of all things good news related. And we all love to hear some good news, especially as we start a new year. God has given to us, His people, the church, Christians, the greatest news in the world. And it's first recorded here in Luke chapter 2. And that news is that God has sent a Savior into a lost and dying world. In fact, our primary job as Christians is to proclaim that good news to the nations. But before the great commission was given, there came this proclamation from a single angel to some shepherds out in a little obscure field near an obscure village called Bethlehem. So let's look at that encounter this morning. We're going to see several things about this encounter. The first is the messenger of the good news. Look at verse 8, chapter 2 says, in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in their fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now this area was known for sheep and shepherding. In fact, you may recall that Bethlehem is called the city of David. It's called the city of David. It's because he's the favorite son who grew up in and near Bethlehem. Remember his first job was to be the shepherd of his father Jesse's flock. David wrote the 23rd Psalm as he reflected on his days of shepherding outside of Bethlehem. And so until this good day, there are sheep and shepherding in that part of the world. And so this 
angel comes, verse 9, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before these shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now, this word angel, Greek, is angelos. It means messenger. It sometimes means a heavenly being as it does here. Sometimes it just means a pastor or someone who preaches the word as it does in the book of Revelation. But in this case, this is a supernatural being sent from God with a special message to humanity. Already twice in chapter one of the book of Luke, we see an encounter with an angel. The first is by Zacharias. He's there as a priest of the Lord in the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem about to offer the incense offering in the holy place. And he sees an angel, identifies himself as Gabriel and says, Zacharias, your wife Elizabeth is going to conceive and have a son and you are to name him John. And in that same chapter, we see this same angel Gabriel confronting this little virgin teenager, likely Mary, and telling her that she also would conceive and in her would be that which is conceived of the Holy Spirit. She also would bear a son and she was to name him Jesus. And so here we have a third interaction between humanity and angels within two chapters. In the first two occasions, the angel does not, excuse me, rather is identified as Gabriel. In this encounter, he is not named, but it's likely the same angel. Now, one might imagine how you would react to a sudden and glorious encounter with such a heavenly being. But, but the bigger question is not how we would act, but, but why? Why would such an important announcement that he says is for all people come to an obscure place to such anonymous people as shepherds who aren't even identified by name? So let, let's look secondly as the recipients of the good news. Shepherds were those, of course, who, who tended sheep. And there's not a lot of sheep around here. When I first moved to Keller, there was a fairly large uh, flock of sheep just west of town here. And every once in a while, I would just stop my car and get out and, and watch how they behave. But they've been long gone. But a few years ago, uh, some of us from the church went over to Romania to train some pastors there. And we took them up in the mountains to a ski resort. It was off season. We got a good rate. Um, but off in the distance, as we were driving in, uh, to, to the place we were having this conference, we saw the largest flock of sheep I suppose any of us had ever seen. They just almost covered the mountain. And you could see a couple of shepherds there. It was a unique thing. So the next morning, uh, Tony Richmond and I, being country boys, wanted to go over and talk to these shepherds. And so we got it real early and, and we walked about a mile. And at the base of this mountain, we found the sheep corral. And Today, just as in ancient times, what shepherds would do is at, at nighttime, they would drive the sheep down to the corral so that they could watch them closely. And as Tony and I found out the hard way, they had some big old mean dogs there to help them protect. Uh, but when we got there, the sheep were gone. The dogs were there. Uh, they had gotten up very early, as they do every morning, and they had led the sheep to green pastures. And then in the evening, they make their way back down the mountainside to the corral. And we watched this the several days that we were there, but it reminded me uh, that shepherding and sheep are motifs that we see in both Testaments uh, of the Bible. I've already mentioned one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, the 23rd Psalm. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
And, and so David there is rehearsing his own life and recalling how God has been a good shepherd, a provider of all of his needs, a protector from his enemies. And in fact, in the Old Testament, God declares himself to be a shepherd of his flock. He identifies as the nation of Israel. And in the New Testament, in John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus to his disciples proclaims himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And in the pastoral epistles and other places, Paul identifies the office that God has given the New Testament church of poimane, pastor, under shepherd, one who leads and feeds and protects God's flock in the church. The apostle Peter instructed pastors in his day to shepherd the flock among you. But, but the truth is in Jesus' day, shepherds did not enjoy a favorable reputation. It was not a lifestyle that mothers aspired for their sons. In fact, shepherds lived a very lonely and isolated life. They didn't have access on a day-to-day -day basis to good hygiene, and so they didn't smell very good. They smelled like the sheep, and when they would come to town, they found that people would cross the street to avoid them. This led to uh, the fact that they began to be considered unclean and dishonest. In fact, there's some indication that the witness of a shepherd was not even admissible in a court of law. And yet here is the God of heaven choosing to bring the most important message the world has ever known through these men. Why? Well, the Lord does not choose to tell us exactly why, but I think we can make an educated guess. God often chooses those who the world would consider unfit to glorify himself. We see this throughout the Bible. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul calls that church to make some observations, to look around the room. And this is what he says, For consider your calling, brothers, that there was not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. Reminds us what we said a few weeks ago about the incarnation, Philippians 2, how Christ emptied himself of the glories and the accoutrements of heaven. And he was not born into a mansion in Highland Park. He was born to a place where the animals were fed and housed. Not born to royalty, but to a very common couple. God is in the business of using what the world thinks is common for his own glory. We see this also as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 61.1, speaking of the coming Messiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. It's what Jesus said during his earthly ministry that the well need not a physician, right? He came to seek and to save the lost. This message is good news for the brokenhearted, the infirmed. And sometimes I think it's hard for us living in this bubble of upper middle class suburbia to understand what he means by that. And 
few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to accompany my nine-year-old daughter, Aubrey, and her GA group down to the inner city of Fort Worth, where we uh, had a ministry partnership with Beautiful Feet. Beautiful Feet is a church that ministers primarily to the homeless and the afflicted in the inner city of Fort Worth. And we gathered there for some prayer, and then we divided into groups of eight or ten And we went uh, on the beds of pickup trucks and with trailers, and we went door to door to many of the neighborhoods there in the inner city of Fort Worth. And we just knocked on the door, and we asked people if we could pray for them and share the gospel with them, and we're able to bless them financially in some instances. And within a space of about 30 minutes, and in a space of one block, we met a woman who had been abused, beaten by her boyfriend, and she was living in a car in her cousin's driveway. It was cold. We ran around the corner and met with another family. As we were leaving, a man in his early 20s came out in tears, asked me if he could talk with me. And he told me that he came to this country because the Mexican drug cartel had murdered his family. And he came here seeking a new life. This is what he means when he says, Jesus came to to speak good news to the afflicted to the brokenhearted, to the infirmed. And I think certainly this is why he brought this message to the shepherds, the outcasts, to say, look, the gospel is not just for the up and in, it's also for the down and out. And look, you and I know that just because someone lives in a nice neighborhood and drives a nice car, goes to a nice school, doesn't mean that they're not afflicted. Doesn't mean they're not brokenhearted. And that's why the angel said this will be good news for all people, meaning all kinds of people. And what a joy it is that we can go to the the most depressed part of the inner city and proclaim good news. And we can go to the nicest neighborhood in town and it's the same good news. But thirdly, what is the source of that news? Look at verse 9. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now it's impressive enough to see an angel, but Luke is keen to point out that this is an angel of the Lord. The significance of the message is not that it's from Gabriel. The significance is it's God's message. The angel is simply the mouthpiece. This word translated good news is one Greek word, euangelizo, where we get the word evangelism. And the source of this good news, make no mistake, is God himself proclaiming what he is doing in the world. And what he's doing in the world is he's breaking into human history for the expressed purpose of saving sinners. And to verify that message is indeed from God, Luke adds a little detail that might go unnoticed. He said, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now what is the glory of the Lord? It's hard to define. But when we see God's glory on display... Most often it is in the form of brilliant light. In the Garden of Eden, God would come in some physical manifestation and interact with Adam and Eve. When he cast them out of the garden because of their sinfulness, he he marked the entrance of the garden with a flaming sword. When they were in the wilderness wandering as escaped slaves from Egypt, he reminded them of his manifest presence through a pillar of fire and a great light. When Moses went on the mountain to receive instruction directly from the Lord and to receive the Ten Commandments, God manifest His presence in a brilliant light, so much so that Moses glowed, literally, 
when he came down from the mountain. When Jesus stole away with his inner circle of disciples to show them just a hint of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was with this marvelous light. And the scripture says in the book of Revelation, for all eternity in heaven, there will be no need of sun or moon because he himself is the light, the glory of God. And so it shows up here with this angel. The message was as simple as it was clear. Look at verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is good news for all people. Now, this is not teaching universalism. Some have said, well, this, this is good news. Jesus died and everyone's going to heaven. That, that's not what it means. It means that this message is not simply for Jewish people. It's for Gentiles. It's for every rung of the socioeconomic ladder. Uh, ladder. It's for every tribe and people group and nation. This is what the Bible says, that God has for himself people from every tribe and people group and nation. This is affirmed, of course, in the Great Commission, which says this, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, all the ethnos, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But it began outside of the city of David, this little village called Bethlehem. And here's the good news message. A Savior has been born. A Savior is a rescuer. In fact, when Gabriel told Mary what to name this child, he said, you shall call him Jesus, which is a derivative of the Old Testament name Joshua, which simply means the Lord saves. And so every time Mary called out to Jesus, she was reminded he's the Savior, the Lord saves. And he indeed is a Savior, not the kind of Savior that uh, many of the Jewish people were looking for. Remember, they, they were looking for a military leader, one who would kick out the Romans from Jerusalem and set up an independent monarchy. But Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost, those who were spiritually blind, those who were in bondage to their sin. He came to set free. He is indeed the Savior, but he's also the Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. It's the Old Testament word Messiah. It's the one who is set aside for the purpose of, of salvation. And so there can be no mistake. Jesus is the Christ, but he's also Lord Curios, master. Now there are a few occasions in, in the Bible where one person will refer to another person as Lord. They're his servant. But, but it seems to be very clear in this context, he is declaring Jesus not only to be a human savior, but to be God in the flesh. And so here we have an affirmation of basic Christian theology in one declaration of the angel where he says, for today in the city of David, by the way, which was predicted hundreds of years earlier by the prophets, there has been born for you. We talk about a personal savior, right? Not, not a generic savior, 
but one who has an individual concern for each and every one of his children. This Savior who is the anointed one of God, the Master, the Lord himself. And yet, God knows that our tendency as humans is to doubt, and these shepherds were no different. And so the angel does for them what he had done in chapter uh, 1 for Mary. He offers to the shepherds a sign. A, A way of confirming what they had seen and heard was not the product of their imagination. After all, these men spent a lot of time alone in isolation. And you can imagine the second the angels are gone, one of them is going to say, did that really happen? Did you see what, what I saw? And so that they know that this is not a figment of their imagination, they're given a sign. And, and what is the sign? He says that the sign is this, that you, verse 12, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a, in a manger. Now Bethlehem was not a large place, and so um, it would not be that hard to find any infant there. But remember, at this time, Bethlehem's population had become much larger than normal because this census decree had gone out from Caesar Augustus and anyone who had any kind of familial relationship with the city of Bethlehem had to come back there to register, so much so that by the time Mary and Joseph got there, there was no room in the inn. And so this little village was teeming with people. No doubt some of them would have children and some of them would have babies, so they would know which baby it was. He says, first you'll find him wrapped in cloths. Well, that was not a lot of help because all babies were wrapped in cloths in those days. But then here's the kicker. He says, you'll find him in a manger. Remember, a manger was a feed trough for animals. And it would have been highly, highly unusual to find a baby in a feed trough. And so they come to where, as shepherds, they knew where the animals were kept at night. And they find immediately this baby, just as the angel said, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And just as quickly as the angel had come, he was joined, the scripture says, by a heavenly host. Now what is a heavenly host? A heavenly host means an army of angels. Do you remember the Old Testament when Elisha was being pursued by his enemies and Elisha and his servant were in their little house and the enemies were circling them and the servant was so worried. And Elisha said, fear not because those that are for us are more than those that are with them, right? And he asked God to open the servant's eyes and he did and he saw a host of angels protecting Elisha. He he saw supernaturally what was really going on. And so these shepherds had a similar experience. They saw this army of the Lord. And what does this heavenly army do? Well, they praise God and they say, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, just a cursory reading of that would seem to indicate that God sent a Savior because we deserved it, right? He seems to say he's pleased with humanity. Now, we know by context that's not at all what he means. The Bible says that the Lord's eyes roam to and fro across the earth. And how many righteous people does he find? None. There's none righteous. No, not one. In fact, the scripture is very clear. Left our own devices, none of us would choose God. We are enemies of God and spiritually blind. What he's saying is this good news comes to men 
with whom he is pleased to give it. In his sovereignty, he graciously offers this gift, not because we deserve it, but in spite of the fact we don't. By the way, we call that theological concept grace, right? Grace is getting something good from God that we have not earned and we do not deserve. Why? Because he's pleased to do it. Did you know in a similar vein in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, describing the suffering servant, Isaiah said, it pleased the father to bruise the son. That is in the same context in his sovereignty, he chose to do that for his own purposes and for his own glory. But the sign was this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And that leads us finally to the responses to to the good news. I, I said earlier that all of us love to hear good news and most of us love to be the bearer of good news. What is to be the response to this good news? Well, there are three we find beginning in verse 15. Let's read it. And when the angels had gone away, it doesn't say how long they were there, but uh, apparently a short period of time. They'd gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherd went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as he had told them. There are three entities here that respond. Number one is the angels. Now, the scriptures indicate that there are more than a few angels in heaven. In fact, the book of Revelation uses a, a very specific Greek word. It says there are myriads and myriads of angels in heaven. The Greek word myriad is a number that means 10,000. There was not a Greek word higher than 10,000. And so to say myriads and myriads means an indefinite number, which means a whole bunch multitudes, your translation may say. It reminds me of uh, Dr. Criswell, who for years was the pastor at First Baptist Dallas. And if you remember, for years, beginning in the 1940s, they carried the morning service at First Baptist Dallas live on local radio. And then by the 1960s, it was live on television across the Metroplex. And Dr. Criswell would come on and he said, The pastor welcomes you to the morning services of First Baptist Church of Dallas. Welcome to all who are in the congregation here today and the multitudes listening at home. (laughs) Now, that might have been uh, Baptist hyperbole. I don't know if there were actually multitudes, but uh, there, there were a good number of people listening. Well, when the Bible says that there were multitudes of angels, myriads of angels, there, there was a lot of them there. And they had the same response each one of them, they praised God. They gave Him glory. Now you say, that's what angels do. That's true. But specifically, they are particularly moved because God has chosen to save sinners. One of the things that amazes angels, according to the Scripture, is God's grace. Peter says they long to look into these things. They They are obsessed with God's grace to humanity. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 15:10 that there is joy in heaven over one person who repents. I take it the angels throw a party every time someone gets saved. And so here they are 
as they anticipate the salvation that's coming to humanity through the birth of the Savior. Glorifying God and saying, peace on earth. Because they understand that uh, since the fall of man, there has been a distinct absence of peace, right? In fact, Adam and Eve's offspring killed one another. And man has been killing one another ever since. And so when he speaks of peace, he's speaking of peace in a number of directions. First and foremost, he's saying now man can have peace with God. Because that peace that he once enjoyed in the garden has been broken because of sin's entrance into the world. And Christ now will be the bridge that brings a perfect and holy God together with a sinful man. And then that peace between heaven and and man will result in peace on earth. Peace between God's people and among God's people. So the angel had the right response. But but secondly, we find the shepherds and their response. Their response is appropriate also. Their response is obedience. And I would add immediate obedience. Look at verse 15. Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. This is the right response to the gospel, isn't it? It's obedience. And what is obedience as it relates to the gospel? Repentance and faith. This is the message of John the Baptist. Repent. This is the message of Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. Turn away from sin and turn towards God and receive His free gift of salvation by faith. Paul says in Ephesians that salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And these shepherds manifest obedience. But there's one more person in this story, and she has a very different response to all these things, and it's Mary. Verse 19, But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary had been privileged nine months earlier to be told what was going to happen, that she would give birth to the Savior, and For nine months, she's been anticipating this event, and it happens. And maybe even Mary begins to doubt, is is this real? And then these shepherds show up, and they confirm that they have received the same message. And what does Mary do? She ponders these things. That is, she thinks deeply. She meditates on the significance of these things. And, And I doubt Though it's possible there may be some person here today that's never heard this story. Never read Luke chapter 2, but that would be highly unlikely. Many of you have heard dozens of sermons on this text, and many of you have been Christians for years. And so the response for you today is not repentance and faith. It's to meditate on the significance of these things. That's why every time Christmas rolls around on the calendar, it should never bore us, right? It should never become old hat or cause us to yawn. Because every time December rolls around on the calendar, it ought to cause us to do what Mary did, to ponder these things in our heart. This is what Paul said to the church at Ephesus, that he was praying that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened And he went on to say what he was praying for, that they would have a deeper understanding and appreciation from the height, the breadth, and the depth of their salvation. 
Because as we grow in sanctification, as we grow in intimacy with Christ, as we grow in knowledge of the scriptures, we have a deeper appreciation for the great love wherewith he loved us. We have a deeper appreciation for our sinful condition before we were saved in our hopeless state. And it causes us to love him more and it causes us to yearn for a deeper relationship and it causes us to be more zealous in our service for him. So what King David wrote in the very first Psalm about the man who brings forth fruit in his life, he meditates on God's word, how often? Day and night. He ponders these things in his heart. What about you, dear friend? Maybe there's someone here today that indeed you do not have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've heard the story, you thought it was nice, but you view it as myth, you view it as fiction. Maybe the Holy Spirit of God has opened your eyes today spiritually to let you see that this is historical fact, that God did in fact break in and intervene into time and space and sent His Son to take on human life as a baby so that he could grow up and go to the cross and be the atoning sacrifice for the sin of the world. What about you? Have you received this free gift or have you admired it from afar? If you're here today and you've never done so, I call upon you to do as the shepherds did, to obey when they hear the good news, to run to the cross immediately, to there find Jesus and receive him as Lord and Savior. Maybe there's a Christian here today, you've been a Christian literally for decades. Maybe you've become stale in your walk with the Lord because you have ceased to ponder these things in your heart. You've allowed the things of the world to vie for your affection. And you care more, as one man told me this week, for your motorcycle than you do for Jesus. You care more for your job. You care more for your family. You care more for the things of this world than you do the Savior. Would you repent of that today? Would you renew and rededicate your life here as we start a new year to follow the Lord Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Maybe there's a family here today and you say, you know, we, we, we want to do that. We want to start the new year by, by pledging our commitment to First Baptist Church of Keller and, and by joining and by joining, you stand shoulder to shoulder and arm in arm with other Christians in, in a state of accountability, but also in a commitment to exercise your spiritual gifts in the local church for the Lord's glory. Maybe there's some other decision the Lord would have you make today. In a moment, Matt's gonna come and lead us in a hymn of commitment. And here's your opportunity to publicly respond to the message today. To say in front of all these people, I am ready to obey the Lord Jesus and his calling in my life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Luke chapter two. And Father, we have here in an economy of words, the greatest news the world could ever know. And Father, we live in a world that is starving for good news. There seems to be none. And yet, Lord, as Christians and as the church of the living God, we possess the greatest news, and that is that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again to save sinners such as us. Father, help us not to hide that good news under a bushel basket, 
but to shine our light in this community and in our schools, at our place of business. Lord, help us to be free and anxious to share the gospel through evangelism. Father, I would pray if there's even one in this room today who does not know Christ as Lord and Savior, that even now, Lord, your spirit would prompt them to call upon Jesus' name, be saved. Thank you for many hundreds of this room, Father, who do know you as Lord and Savior. But Father, many of us from time to time grow cold in our relationship and distant. Lord, I pray you would call men and women back to an intimate relationship with you today. Lord, may we all commit this year to Bible study and corporate worship and prayer and fellowship, Lord, those things that lead to sanctification. Because we want, Father, to know you in a more intimate way this year. Father, I pray you would lead in every life. Make application of this message today in every soul, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.